last week we began the study of the book of Exodus where we studied revelation and redemption. Exodus is the second book of the Pentateuch written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Exodus continues the stories, the story of Genesis. By way of reminder, the children of Israel were in Egypt. And while they were there, the story is they were multiplying and being fruitful. Then we learn that there is a new king who reigned over Egypt that did not know Joseph. And the problem with this new king not knowing Joseph is that Israel was cared for and favored by Pharaoh because of Joseph. Now that there's a king who doesn't remember Joseph, the children of Israel are not treated favorably. This new Pharaoh decides to deal harshly with the children of Israel out of fear that if they continue to grow, if they continue to be fruitful and multiply, they will join up with some other national power that is an enemy to Egypt and overtake Egypt. And so the children of Israel are oppressed under this new Pharaoh. They are worked hard as slaves. Impossible demands are placed upon them. This new Pharaoh, he orders infanticide of the Hebrew males. However, there is one Hebrew-born male that is preserved. That male is named Moses. Moses is divinely saved, and preserved by God through the care, ironically, of Pharaoh's daughter. One day Moses saw an Egyptian beating on a Hebrew, which was one of his own people. So Moses intervened and killed this Egyptian. The next day, Moses finds two Hebrews fighting. He tries to get them to stop fighting one another. And one of the Hebrews asked Moses, who are you? Who made you a judge and ruler over us? Will you do to me what you did to the Egyptian? Uh-oh. Moses knows I've been found out. My crime is known. It's public. It gets, it gets back to Pharaoh that Moses had killed an Egyptian, and so uh, this Pharaoh puts a hit out on the life of Moses. He sought to kill Moses, so Moses flees to a place called Midian. And there he ends up marrying a Midianite woman, settles there, and starts a new life. And so today, we find ourselves picking up the continuation of this story in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter number 4. 
Now, let me forewarn you. I plan to preach all of it. I've got six weeks worth of preaching stored up in me. Not only that, I plan to read all of Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4 for our reading and hearing on this morning. Paul told Timothy to give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. So that's what we plan to do this morning, is read God's Word in its entirety of chapters 3 and 4, as I have been told all 53 verses of it. Friends, when God, when we read Scripture, we hear the voice of God. If you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. And so now, I'm going to read Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse number 1. Let's read. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the crime of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? 
And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will listen to your voice and you, and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. Each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons, on your daughters. So shall you plunder the Egyptians. Chapter 4. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. He said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? It, is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth. 
and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, send somebody else. <laughs> then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put hit the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. So Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. The Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt. For all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. And a lodging place on the way to the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Uh-oh. And Zipporah took a flint. And cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to, to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people, and the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's look together first at God's revelation to his chosen leader. God reveals himself to his chosen leader in chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The text opens with Moses shepherding his father and laws flock through the wilderness. And they arrive at a place called Horeb, which is called the Mountain of God. Mount Horeb, for your information, is synonymous with Mount Sinai. Friends, this is a crucial place in the story of Exodus. This is the place where later, God will confirm and give the terms of his covenant, the law, with his chosen people. Verse 2 says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Let's look at this verse 
for a moment. What or who is this angel of the Lord? As always, context is key. The answer is given to us in verse 4, where it says clearly that it was God who called him out of the bush. The angel of the Lord is the Lord himself. That word angel means messenger. So what happens at this burning bush is God takes on visible shape and form that is tangible and observable to the human senses in order to reveal himself. This is what is called a theophany. A theophany. God takes on visible form that is tangible to human senses in order to reveal himself. Knowing then that this is a theophany, what is it then that God wants to reveal? That's the goal of this section. Let's look at what God reveals. First of all, God reveals that he is Lord of creation. Notice, Moses observes a bush that is burning, yet not being consumed. Friends, this totally contradicts the natural property of fire. Fire consumes what it burns. Yet here, at this bush, it does not. Why? Because God is the one who created the fire and therefore controls the fire. He rules the fire. In other words, he is Lord. Friends, these three words are crucial to understanding the book of Exodus. One of the major themes of the book of Exodus is God's lordship. When you read the book of Exodus, it's one of the recurring phrases that you will hear over and over again, which unlocks the key to understanding the book of Exodus, is this phrase, that they may know that I am the Lord. God reveals himself as Lord over all. He reveals that he is the one true God, Lord and king. And that's what God's goal is in the book of Exodus, is to be known as the Lord, the one true and living God. So he reveals himself to be Lord. What else does he, do we learn in this theophany? We, re, we learn, secondly, that God is holy. Look, look, look. This bush is burning, it's not being consumed, and then a voice comes from it. God says to Moses, don't you come any nearer. Take your sandals off. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. God is present in this burning bush. And he says now that this place is holy. Wherever God is, that place becomes holy because God is holy. That word holy, it means to be set apart, to be devoted to God, to be sacred. It refers to something that is separate 
or distinctive. The ground where God was was set apart from all other ground that Moses had tread upon. And therefore, it was to be approached differently. Friends, the holiness of God demands we approach him differently. Notice, Moses must approach God on God's terms, not his own terms. God tells him, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Friends, we don't get to decide how we approach God. The holiness of God demands that we come to God on his own terms. We must approach with reverence and honor. Thirdly, God reveals himself in this theophany to be the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. We'll come back to that later. I'll yank on that a little bit later. What else does God reveal in this theophany? Verse 7 and 8, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of a land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 7 and 8 repeat the very end of Exodus chapter 2, where it says God saw. God knew, God heard. Friends, that's what God reveals in this theophany. God sees, God hears, God knows, God cares. Friends, this is an important word for us today. Oftentimes, like the children of Israel, we too experience trials affliction, and suffering. And it's easy to think that God has forgotten, forsaken, or just simply doesn't care. Especially when that suffering seems to have no end in sight. This was the case of the children of Israel as they suffered oppression in Egypt. But this is God's word those of us who may be suffering, I see, I hear, I know, I care. God says, I've come down. God condescends. God intervenes on behalf of his people. Friends, this word is a great comfort to us this morning. God sees. God hears. God knows. God cares. Now, I could flex my muscle here if I wanted to, to dive a little bit deeper into this point, but I think it speaks for itself. Whatever your situation in life may be, friend, God sees. God hears. God knows. God cares. You may be having financial struggles right now. God's word to you this morning is, I see. 
I hear. I know. I can't. You may be dealing with sickness in your body this morning. God's word to you this morning is God sees. You can help me preach. God hears. God knows. God cares. You may be having problems in your family. Marriage is rocky. Children are acting crazy right now. God's word to you this morning is God sees. God hears. God knows, God cares. You may be having problems at work this week. God's word to you this morning, friends, is God sees, God hears, God knows, God cares. And so from this theophany, God calls Moses. Verse 10, he says, come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That's God's revelation to his chosen leader. Now, look with me secondly at God reassuring his reluctant leader. God calls Moses. When, when, when God first called him, he called his name twice, Moses, Moses. Moses' response to God is, here am I. Now he hears that God wants to use him to send him to Pharaoh to let his people go. He goes from here am I to who am I? <laughs> Moses now begins to formally protest the call of God on his life. Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses feels inadequate to carry out the call of God on his life. Who, who, who am I? God, God, I don't have the credentials, the position, the standing to go to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Friends, remember Moses is a fugitive. There's a death sentence over him. Not only is he a fugitive, but he's a shepherd. To an Egyptian, that was beneath them, the position of a shepherd. It was very lowly, dirty work. And Moses knew that this would be the perspective of the Egyptians. And he's saying, God, I'm a fugitive. I'm a shepherd. Of all people, why would you send me? God responds to Moses. He actually does not directly answer Moses' question about who he is. He doesn't answer the question, who am I? Moses' question, who am I? He says, let me tell you who I am. His response to Moses is simply this, but I will be with you. In other words, Moses, your position, your reputation, your credentials, your job, it doesn't matter as long as I'm with you. What matters is that my presence goes with you. Friends, what qualifies Moses for this task is the very presence of God. God makes all the difference. Hear me. God 
plus an inadequate yet humbling servant is an unbeatable combo. Friends, the good news for us is that we not only have God with us, we have God in us. Jesus lives in us through the precious Holy Spirit. And friends, regardless of how long we've been in church, whether you've been to seminary, whether you have superior giftedness, God is the cause of one's success in doing his will. Whenever we do God's bidding, we are never alone. His presence is what makes us adequate to carry out the call of God on our lives. Friends, if God is with us, what more do we need? So he says, who am I? Moses has a second protest. He moves from who am I, and now he wants to ask God, who are you? That's verse 13 through 22. Moses has a second protest. And he says, if I go to the children of Israel, what am I to say if they ask me, what is his name? In other words, who are you? What is your reputation? What, what is your character? And God responds to him, verse 14, I am who I am. He says, so tell them, I am has sent you. That word, I am, is one word in the Hebrew. It means to be or to exist. God is simply saying to Moses that I am he who truly exists and will be present with you in the situation I am sending you to. But, 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 but when he says I am who I am, he's not saying that this is a, a typical type of existence. No, this is a different type of existence. God is letting Moses know, I am the self-existent one. In other words, he letting Moses know that I exist because of my own self. In other words, he's letting Moses know there is no cause to me. I simply am the God who he is. I simply am the God who is always there. Now, not only does this word, some translators, it's in the imperfect tense in the Hebrew, which means that it's some kind of, of action that is both continuing, an unaccomplished, customary, which means that it's a combination of both the present and the future. So not only is God saying to him, I am who I am, but he's also saying, I am who I will be. In other words, God is letting Moses know who I am is about to be revealed to you through what I am about to do for you and through you. When he says I am who I am, he is letting them know that he's the self-existent one. Then he goes on to say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In other words, God is reminding him that the same God that I was to Abraham, I'm going to be to you. The same God that I was to Isaac, I'm going to be to you. The same God that I was to Jacob, I'm going to be to you. As I was, so I am and will be. 
In other words, God is letting Moses know that he is unchanging. There is no shadow of variation in God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. When he refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is letting him know that he's the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. He's the God who is faithful to his word. He's unchanging. And friends, the, the unchanging nature of God, what, we, what theologians call the immutability of God, the fact that God is unchanging means that he is worthy of our trust. I've been around people who have told me that they were going to do certain things. They were going to do this at this time. Show up at this time. Be at this place. Do this for me. Yet time after time, their word was unfulfilled. And what I learned is not to trust in the words of those people because they say one thing and do another. Oh, don't sit up there and act like you don't know people like that. Look straight ahead, look straight ahead. I don't want no fights breaking out. These, you know these kind of people that talk out of both sides of their mouth. You can't, Lord have mercy. Oh, I was talking about you, man. You can't believe or trust anything they say. They're wishy-washy. undependable. And God is letting Moses know when he calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I'm not a wishy-washy God. I keep my word. I keep my promises. Now here's the thing. I keep them on my own time. Remember, he's the God who is. Not the God who was. There is no past with God. He's always just there. He is ever-present. It took God 430 years to show up and do something. Why? Because he did it. I don't know. But he did it in his own time. He keeps his word. Therefore, he is worthy of our trust, friends. We should trust every one of his promises. If he said it, he will do it. But they're, they're used to, we used to say in the church where I grew up, God said it, I believe it. That settles it. Well, let me tell you this, whether you believe it or not, if God said it, that settles it. <laughs> so I think the takeaway from us with God calling himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is to remember that he is a God who, stand, who keeps his promises. So we ought to stand on the very promises of God. 
We ought to trust in his word. Most of all, we ought to trust in his son, Jesus Christ. So Moses has now a third objection, beginning in chapter 4. He says, but they won't believe me. They won't believe, chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, he says that the people that you're sending me to, they won't listen or believe that God actually appeared to me. What's amazing is we just read at the end of chapter 3 that God says, they will believe you. He says, no, they won't, Lord. So God gives him three signs. First sign is that this staff turns into a serpent, then turns back into a staff. The second sign, God tells Moses to take his hand, put it inside his cloak. The hand turns leprous, and then God changes it back to its original form. The third sign involved Moses taking some water from the Nile River and pouring it on dry ground, and then it turned into blood. And Moses says, I'm going to give you these three signs that they may believe. The purpose of these signs is simply belief. God is trying to engender belief in his people and in Moses. God performs these miracles, signs, and wonders to authenticate his messenger and to demonstrate his power. Friends, this not only occurs here in Exodus, but it's in all of Scripture. We see the same situation in the Gospels. Jesus shows up, preaches his word, and what does God do? He gives him miracles to perform. Jesus then gives that spiritual authority and power to his apostles. And they have the ability to do miracles to, to authenticate that they truly are God's sent ones. They are preaching a true message. God gives proofs of his power and his chosen person. Our response to the move of God is simply belief, faith, trust. Moses is not done. He says, I got another one. What about my lack of giftedness? This is his fourth objection to the call of God. Verse 10, chapter 4. He says, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. And God's response to Moses, God's response to Moses is this. Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or sing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God's point here is that he's letting Moses know, I'm the creator. And I, I am sovereign over people's abilities and disabilities. Ooh, that's hard. That's what the word says. He says, God says, I've got control over a person's body. So Moses, I don't care what your mouth or your speech is like. I am sovereign and I will give you, I will turn your disability into an ability that's necessary to complete the task to which I've called you. God says to Moses, I will be with your mouth. I will teach you what to say. Finally, Moses is like, 
Every time I come up with something, you got some, a good response, Lord. He starts off with, God calls him Moses, Moses. Moses says, here am I. By the end of this dialogue with God, he moves from here am I to send someone else. Verse 13, oh my Lord, please send someone else. No more excuses. No more complaints. No more objections. Moses makes his clear, Lord, I, I just don't want to go. And friends, this angers God. But God deals directly with Moses' objection. He says, I'm going to send Aaron with you, your brother. And Aaron will speak for you as you speak for me. Friends, Aaron is proof that God provides just what we need to do his will. Moses is not the only reluctant servant to ever exist. I'm going to step out on faith and assume that there may be someone in this room who God is calling to do something for the sake of his kingdom and you are reluctant. You are objecting. You're protesting. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not gifted enough. I don't know enough. God's word to you is, excuse my grammar, it ain't about you. God wants you to know, if I called you, I will be with you. And so, I think what God wants from us this morning is our yes. Yes to his will. Yes to his way. He wants us to be sincere about the second song we sing, withholding nothing. I surrender all. That's what God wants from you this morning. He wants your yes. Friends, no more excuses. There comes a point where we outright anger God with our excuses. And so that's the word for us this morning. No more excuses. God has saved you to serve him. That the, what you will hear over and over again as we get into the book of Exodus, he's, Moses is going to, God tells Moses to go down to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go so that they may serve me. They're not saved just to go to the promised land. Too many of us want to get saved and just go to heaven. But God has use of us on earth. You are saved to serve. 
And God's word to you this morning is no more excuses. If you feel inadequate, that's exactly where God wants you. Because he wants you to realize is that it's not by your might or, or by your power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. <laughs> There's a nursery worker out there. <laughs> God is saying to you, no more excuses. There's somebody that God has called to serve on the praise and worship team. And God is saying, no more excuses. Some have said that when Moses said, I'm not eloquent of speech, he was just saying, God, I, I am afraid to speak in front of people. Some of us have the, a fear of man that is causing us to be disobedient to the call of God on our lives. And God is letting you, he's calling you today to say, no more excuses. God is calling somebody else to serve on the hospitality team. He's calling somebody else to, 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 to be bold about speaking his word to their friends, their neighbors, whatever it is. And God is saying, no more excuses. I am with you. Stop treating me like I'm not able. Finally, Moses returns to Egypt. This back and forth ends and Moses go back to his father-in-law and to receive his blessing from Jethro, his father-in-law, to return to Egypt. Some have argued that Moses has been, uh, uh, still he's been disobedient and faithless here by going to, faith, to, to his father-in-law to ask for permission to leave when God has already called him. I think Moses knows you better know how to leave a job right. God tells Moses, verse 19, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. Maybe just maybe God took a long time to kill off some folks. So Moses and Aaron speak the words to the elders, do signs. The people hear the words. They saw the signs, and the record is the people believed. They bowed their heads and worshiped. Will you believe God this morning? For somebody in here, God wants you to believe that you are a sinner and that you deserve eternal separation from God and hell, but he wants you to believe that he loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die your death, was buried and rose on the third day victoriously from the grave, and if you would just believe in Jesus Christ, the Son, you will be saved from the very wrath of God. Will you believe this morning? For that person that has already believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, God's question to you this morning is, will you believe that he has use of you? You with your disability, you with your inadequacy, will you believe that God can use you? For somebody else, will you believe that there is nothing too hard for God? Will you believe that he is with you today and every other day? God wants us to believe, to trust, to have confidence in him and worship him.
as we serve him. Let's stand. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what our eyes have seen, our hearts have felt. God, forgive us for the excuses that we've made. Forgive us for being disobedient to your will. God, overwhelm us with your presence. Let your presence be what gives us comfort on a daily basis. Remind us of your presence, that we are never alone, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. God, as we suffer and deal with all different trials and tribulations, overwhelm us with your presence. God, help us to believe your word, your promises. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.